0: Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview based podcast focused on offering listeners in depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Greetings and salutations, psychedelic casters. Welcome to another episode of the show. You know what we're about here. If you don't, you're going to find out shortly. My name is Clinton Cayley. I'm the host of this here podcast. Uh, What we do is we interview cool people who have cool experience and know some things that we may not know about all subjects tangential and relating to the psychedelic and psychedelia. So if you're just joining us, welcome. Glad to have you. If you listen to the show regularly, welcome. Glad to have you uh we are gonna talk to a somewhat different guest than we've had in the past and we'll get right into that at the beginning of the interview but generally for my guests i already have an idea of who they are what they're about what projects they work on they may have they may also be known to you or the psychedelic community at large the gentleman we're going to talk to today my buddy chris o'connor from across the pond uh being the uk um I don't know too much about him. I didn't know too much about him when we recorded this uh, this episode. Um, but I knew a little bit more about him at the end of it. And very interesting character. Uh, very cool guy. Easy to talk to. Great, uh, great podcast guest. Great interview. I enjoyed it. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, we're going to get a little bit different perspective here um, than we normally do. Because many of the perspectives that we get on Psychedelicast are from veteran psychonauts or people who are well versed in in these realms of psychedelia. Um Chris who we're gonna discuss today is just now beginning his uh journey into that aspect of uh into the psychedelic aspect of his journey. And he's gonna discuss all that with us, tell us a little bit about his background and I'm gonna prod him around and we're gonna get down to his actually uh his introduction to psychedelics which bravely enough happens to be silo or the uh addition of an maoi or monoamine oxidase inhibitor to uh the psilocybin truffle which greatly exponentiates that experience so we've got a pretty cool story for you today with a fascinating character in chris o'connor thank you guys for tuning in to psychedelic cast let's do our thing and then we'll get to our interview Here at Psychedelicast, we are always looking for and looking forward to working with other people, projects, or products involved in the psychedelic space. If you yourself or you know someone involved in any projects that you think would be up our alley, please direct them to my email at clintonkaylee at gmail.com. We'd love to work with you and promote your project via Psychedelicast. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So if you know anybody who wants to promote with us or you think would be a good fit, send them our way. That would be dope. Beyond that, follow us on our social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at psychedelicast. That's literally the at sign followed by the name of the show. Follow us there. We'd like to stay involved with our uh, fan base and our community via those pages. Keep a lot of updated content going on the social medias. Follow us there click subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. Subscribe to the show to stay updated with each episode that drops every week. We do these interviews. We also do our No Trip Sitter episodes. That'll be next week um, following this interview with Chris O'Connor. Beyond subscribing to the show, if you guys could drop us some stars, leave a little review, leave a little love, share us in the online space and in real life with your friends, family, the people you love, and uh the culture at large that helps the show grow and we can keep doing this for you bringing you dope ass guests let's do psychedelic news and we'll get to one of those momentarily In psychedelic news today, we're going to bring you another one from a psychedelic favorite news source, Marijuana Moment. I know we utilize Marijuana moment.net a lot, but they do some very solid uh, journalism in the arenas of cannabis and psychedelics. So, you know, they got good shit for us. This article was written seven days ago on August the 17th, 2020 by Mr. Ben Adlin. It's entitled, John... <clears throat> It's entitled "Johns Hopkins Wants to Hear About Your Psychedelic Journeys for New Real World Study." I know we also talk a lot about these Johns Hopkins studies, but these are really, really important in uh, in this day and age where people want not only much more. Than anecdotal evidence, they need hard scientific fact. There's nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. That research needs to be done. But this is uh, going to kind of toe the where Johns Hopkins is going to kind of ask us to toe the line between that clinical, uh, hard scientific research and real world psychedelic experiences. Planning to trip on shrooms anytime soon? If you're willing to fill out a few surveys, your experience could help chart the future of psychedelic science. Researchers at Johns Hopkins University, who have been at the forefront of psychedelic studies in a lab setting, are partnering with a Denver based nonprofit to gather thousands of real world experiences with psilocybin, the main psychedelic compound of so called magic mushrooms. By diverging from a standard research setting, they're hoping to gain a better understanding of the factors that influence a trip and its outcomes. They're asking people who plan to use psilocybin to share their experiences in order to build a better understanding of the drug's effects outside a laboratory setting, at festivals, and in nature, for example. Because our research is real-world, allowing participants to enroll for any reason and participate in any setting, we will learn unprecedented new details about how individuals are choosing to use this substance, said Del Jolly, co-founder of Unlimited Sciences, the nonprofit funding the study. We hope to grow our understanding with a large survey set. Any English-speaking adult planning to use psilocybin within the next six months can sign up to join the study. Your input, the website says, could materially evolve our collective scientific understanding of psilocybin's effects on the human mind. If that sounds like a worthy goal, be forewarned that there's homework. Participants will be asked to take up to five surveys about themselves and their psilocybin experiences, one survey two weeks before taking psilocybin, the next in the hours before use, another in the days following the experience, and then two follow-up surveys in the, w- surveys in the weeks and months afterward. Each survey is expected to take between 10 and 30 minutes to complete. Participants will be asked to describe details of both their set, which is the state of mind, setting, physical situation, at up to six time periods during, surrounding a planned psilocybin dose, according to an unlimited science press release, to isolate variables of experiences and how they relate to health and other outcomes. Researchers at Johns Hopkins have been studying psychedelics for decades, and last year the university launched its first one-of-a-kind psychedelics research center. The Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research has focused primarily on potential therapeutic uses for psychedelics, such as smoking cessation and treatment for depression, Alzheimer's disease, anorexia, and opioid withdrawal. Assembling a repository of real-world data, Unlimited Sciences says could help identify areas for future investigation. By expanding the study to include far more examples of real-life usage and outcomes, we can continue to learn more and refine our research," said Heather Jackson, the nonprofit's board president. A study of this type can direct future controlled clinical trials. As with cannabis, the recent resurgence of interest in psilocybin and other psychedelics has propelled an effort to better understand the science behind the drug's effects. Unlimited Science was inspired by Realms of Caring, a nonprofit started in 2013 to gather data on how cannabis was being used medically. In late 2018, the founders of Unlimited Sciences saw a similar need, Unlimited's website says, to collect scientific data and testimonials about how people use psychedelics in their lives. In the current study, Unlimited and Johns Hopkins want to learn more about the positive and negative outcomes of psilocybin use as well as factors that could influence those outcomes. We aim to investigate variables such as demographics, lifestyle, mindset, and personality traits, the study website says, as well as characteristics of the experience itself such as dosage, ingestion method, intention, and setting that could influence psilocybin's long-term effects. As academics continue to investigate the effects of psilocybin and other psychedelics, advocates for safe access are making headway in both the U.S. and Canada, Voters in Oregon this year will consider a ballot measure that would legalize psilocybin for therapeutic use, as well as separate as well as separate pardon me, as well as a separate proposal that would decriminalize all drugs and invest in treatment. In Washington D.C., meanwhile, activists have qualified a measure for November's ballot that would decriminalize plant and fungi-based psychedelics, including psilocybin, ayahuasca, and ibogaine. Earlier this month in Canada, four cancer patients in end-of-life care successfully petitioned the country's health minister to exempt them from the country's laws against psilocybin, allowing them to legally use the drug as part of psychotherapeutic treatment. This is the positive result that is possible when good people show genuine compassion, said Thomas Hartle, one of the first Canadians in decades willing who will be able to use psilocybin legally. I'm so grateful I can move forward with the next step of healing. Excellent article there from Marijuana Moment, and I'm going to tag in the show notes the links to the Johns Hopkins... Uh, the forms that you can access to the Johns Hopkins study or data collection that they are going to be running. I'm going to link that in the show notes for you guys so that anybody who hears about this via this show or any other method can access that, and do. we should be doing our part, you know? If we're going to be uh, utilizing psilocybin in the next few months, why not document it for, for medicine and for science. Let's get into our interview. For the listeners, welcome to Psychedelicast. I'm Clinton Kaylee, the host we have Chris O'Connor here. Chris, why don't you uh, briefly introduce yourself and we'll kind of take it from there?
1: Right. Well, um, I've just got into Clinton's podcast over the coronavirus lockdown. I had nothing much better to do other than look through uh, what is out there regarding psychedelics and stuff. Uh, I'm a middle aged man who had his first psychedelic experience about. Three weeks ago now, uh, in the Netherlands, I'm ex-military, many, many years ago. uh, Spent three years in the British Army, infantry. A regiment called the Queen's Lancashire Regiment. I'm from the north of England, from Manchester. Um, I had experiences when I was an active tour of duty. I think in America, you'd call it deployment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting for me eventually getting to do this psychedelic experience.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that. So it's actually, um, the reason why you're on this show is, the reason why we're chatting right now is because you became a fan of the page's Instagram. Yeah. And then maybe, or maybe the show or vice versa. Regardless, most of my guests that I have on, I, I usually know things about them, or you know what I'm saying? Like I kind of interview people who I would have already had previous knowledge of. So this is a new uh, experience for me. Um, and the reason why I wanted to talk to you was because I thought your Instagram page was interesting. I could definitely see the military influence. And then I don't know. I posted something, and you reached out about your upcoming truffle experience, and that it was yeah going, yeah, and that it was going to be your first psychedelic experience. So I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have, because most of the people that I talk to are versed in psychedelia, and they're already kind of involved in the culture or involved in whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to somebody, especially at this point in your life, who's new to the psychedelic experience. So that's just a little background for listeners on how and why we came into contact with each other. Um, because as I said, most of my guests, apologize, um, are people that I've, you know, that I've become aware of through this. So t- why don't we start with... Why don't you tell me about your early life, however briefly or however detailed you want to, and then let's move into military, and then we'll, yeah. we'll get around to the psychedelic stuff in a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, that's interesting, actually. In regards to my earlier life, um, I'm parents and sister, about four years younger, I grew up in the north of England, uh, I always joke that I was a special kid. That I was a bit special. I had plenty of stories of my life as a child doing really stupid, dumb-ass things and not <laughs> really thinking it. More. And the amount of patience that my father didn't have with me and my mother. So there's always been a bit of a back history with me and, and the relationship with my mother, um, mental health, not on the best of... of um, not on a good footing with her whatsoever physically and mentally abusive mm-hmm. uh, not, not to the point where I would be in the hospital and having to lie about falling down the stairs or stuff like that
0: okay sorry guys so we cut out there for a second this tends to happen every now and then um, but Chris was discussing um, his relationship with his mother and how that came up in the, his psychedelic experience can you pick up from there? Sorry about that, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. That touched upon just very briefly. I thought, interesting. I thought it would be um, a lot of it, as in the old stuff being dragged up. But I've kind of... It, it's, it's, oh God, I've been waffling for ages about this. As an adult, I look at my mother as an old lady with vascular dementia. She is no longer the mother the mother I, I had as a child. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, I've gone through this, this kind of internal dialogue, I could call it, of, of almost forgiveness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, we always had a bit of a tempestuous relationship. After I grew up and I left, I left home and I joined the military and then I came back, there was, there was always something there. But when I left home, properly and moved away after i'd left the military the relationship did improve a little bit but um i think she's quite young to get vascular dimension that that's a whole different story in itself but i just found that interesting how it touched upon it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: briefly briefly um and it was just to do with hugging my mother and giving a kiss on the cheek and having no resentment no anger no animosity whatsoever the biggest part
0: Um, yeah. So anyway, well, that's interesting. Um, and that brings up a good point that, um, you know, most people who undergo these psychedelic experiences on a more regular basis. And if you're interested in further exploration, you'll come to know this in a deeper way. A lot of times we have this like idea of what it's going to be like, you know, or we have this, like, uh, we think, that we're going to go into this psychedelic experience and we kind of have an idea of what's going to come up for us, you know, and sometimes you're right. And sometimes that thing that you thought was going to come up, comes up, but quite often it's, it's portrayed in in a much different way than you thought. For instance, uh, when I went to drink ayahuasca, um, last year, I had this like sense that I was going to have to deal with, um, my relationship with my father and this kind of controlling, kind of fear-based um, thought process, and, and these things that I that I struggle with, based around control and a, and a need for control and a fear of loss of control, things like that. And I felt like I I felt like I had kind of like get gotten that from my father in a way. So I thought I was gonna have to deal with that. And it's like when I went in. I dealt with that but in such a completely different way. It was like it wasn't trying to teach me about loss of f- loss of control. It was like the re- it was like deeper than that. It like took me down to the root. It was like you don't love yourself. It's like you don't mm. get, you don't get it. It's not that you're afraid to lose control. It's that you don't love yourself and you're unable to like to like man- maneuver in the world in a in a free, not fearful way. So I, I I say that I give that allegory just to kind of um, relate to what you're saying about you thought you were going to have to deal with something big about your mother, but then you, you just kind of briefly touched on it and it was like, okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to talk about your experiences in the military? Well, the military, yeah. Um,
1: if any one of your listeners are of an age where if they have a, memories or an understanding of the British involvement in Northern Ireland. Um, some people would call it an occupation, others would just say it's just, a, a, I don't know, it's, it's its loaded. People need to really get into the history of Ireland and, and, and the IRA and the Protestant paramilitaries and stuff. But I did a four and a half month of duty in the summer of '87. I left school '84, joined the military, got into training '86, and was in Belfast the summer of '87. Um, the first lad was killed on the very fifth day. Which this is this is the truth. I believe that your lottery comes in many shapes and forms. Lots of people win money. Some people may win prizes, some people may not die when they're daydreaming walking across the road. The way it worked when I was in, when I was there, it was five days guard duty, five days mobile patrols from the camp, five days foot patrols from the camp, and then five days foot patrols or mobiles supporting the then RUC, the Royal Full Constabulary. Um, Which is that's changed now. Mm-hmm. On the fifth day, I was finishing guard duty, actually on the main gate, the big sanga. The guard commander came out. He was from a totally different platoon to me, and he said, "You're an O'Connor, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Go and ring your mother." I said, "The lad that just been killed is an O'Connor." My full name is Christopher John O'Connor. The young man that died was Ian J. O'Connor, of no relation. He was B Company, I was A Company. I didn't know anything about him, I had never met the guy. So I had to ring my mother, take into account what relationship I had with my mother. Mm-hmm. I rang her, I said, uh, quick phone call. The first lad that has just died, we've just lost one of our lads on the fifth day. He's called an O'Connor. Can you ring around the rest of the family when it comes up on the news? Please tell them, it is not me. I am alive. Okay. Um, And then went back onto onto guard duty. And then life continued after that. Um, Yeah, it's it's a very strange experience. Um, And then halfway through, my friend Joe, Joe Leach was shot and killed by an ira sniper mm-hmm. um, yeah he died on the streets didn't make it to hospital and whatnot and then there were subsequently other um snipers and there was other bombs and some of the lads got shot and stuff like that. i would just like basically to to, to say that i did not discharge my weapon in anger mm-hmm. i did not take anybody else's life a lot of soldiers would feel as though they're losing out. That they've not done that. I myself personally am I'm, I'm grateful that I was you know, I have to take somebody else's life. But if I was in the situation, I would have done. I would have done so. Because the training just would have kicked him.
0: Sure, sure. So okay. Um but, continue. Yeah, so
1: um Losing my friend was, was a, a huge shock and I just damped it down, just damped it down then and just put it in, into Pandora's box and locked the key and threw it away. No one talked about it and no one touched upon it, no one hinted it, it was just something that had happened and we had to carry on for the rest of the tour. When I got to the battalion, um, I was just so locked down, it was just unbelievable. I remember getting drunk one night, absolutely pissed. Um, and having a bit of a freak out, crying and shouting and screaming and whatnot. And one of the lads just came in and told me to shut the fuck up, yeah, Um, which I did do. And again, it was nothing. It was not touched upon whatsoever. I think I probably had depression after that. I didn't realize I was depressed. I didn't know what depression was. As a young man, I was only like 19. Bit of a cliche, actually. I in the 90s.
0: Yeah. Um, and and in that situation, I would just imagine, you know, that you have to compartmentalize. There's no other way around it. You just kind of tuck it away and put that box up on a shelf somewhere, you know, and uh, I work in medicine, so I work in emergency medicine. So I have to, I've gotten pretty good at that because, you know, you see not all the time, but occasionally you have to be involved in terrible things, bad accidents. Like one time I saw these babies, these two children one and 3 years old got burnt really bad in a in a car wreck and uh yeah, yeah you can't like y- you you have to just for your own sanity's sake you know you kind of just have to tuck those things away and be like you know maybe someday I'll take that out take that box out and go through it and try to like decipher what that means to me or what I should do with that in my life and the psychedelic experience is a great tool to access those boxes maybe that we've buried so far back that we don't even remember or not even conscious that they're there, you know, all these, these, and the psychedelic experience has a tendency to say, oh, look, here's a box that's really important that you completely forgot about. Let's open this box up. And then all this stuff comes out of the box and you're just like, holy shit. Like I completely forgot that this box was even in here, you know? um so what was it that led you to become interested in in having this truffle experience how did you get to this point
1: well initially it's ayahuasca that i wanted to do Mm um i'm an
0: avid reader
1: i read all sorts of stuff
0: i see your posts Uh, uh, I, i see all your book posts and i see that you do that you really love to read so that's cool
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting enough, all the stuff that I put up was I planned to read over this summertime period because I work in a school so I have the some holidays off. But when we had the corona and we had the lockdown, they all came out and it was good. I, I read even more stuff as well. But um, I, I cannot remember how I came across ayahuasca itself. Um, I'd always kind of been interested in, in trying psychedelics mushrooms. I'd... I'd mix with guys who had done mushrooms and stuff, but mm-hmm. when I was much younger, I was I was almost anti-drugs, you know, even marijuana. And um, I, I was always, wow, well, you don't do that?" You know, yeah, <laughs> it's bad oh, it's a gateway drug, all that kind of bollocks. Um, and then, obviously, the the beauty that is the rabbit hole called YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> I came across uh, ayahuasca and stuff, and. I read stuff online about how it's therapeutic properties and I just thought that is something maybe I'd like to have a crack at, but not knowing that maybe you could go to Amsterdam or or Spain or Portugal or anywhere, you know, for me it was like, oh, it's in the darkest depth of Peru, Mm -hmm. I need to go through, I don't have the money for that, and then I realised the vomiting and stuff, and I've always hated being sick, you know, as a child I couldn't I couldn't breathe when I was being sick, and my father had no sympathy, he just smacked me across the back of the head and said, just get it over and done with, you'll feel sure. better afterwards, stuff like that, you know. Sure. Um But yeah, so then I started doing some research and I came very close to going to Peru. But it seemed to be too expensive. I think the flight was over a grand, it's like over a thousand pounds, and then the place that I found was over. A thousand pounds. It's two grand that
0: I just didn't have at the time. Yeah, it's expensive to get to Peru. Started doing some more research.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So then I did, did more research and then just came across, I came across, I don't know, some, some site that somebody mentioned the Netherlands. So I thought well, that's interesting. So I know you can buy magic mushrooms and stuff like that, but what I didn't fancy was just going. Just going to, to, to Amsterdam and necking a load of magic mushrooms and having a bad experience. I wanted something that was was, was more therapeutic. Somehow I'd, I'd have a, a place to go and someone to be there to support you and whatnot. So sure. then I found Sacred Sacred Voyage, who were really good.
0: So um, uh, let me. Were, I want to stop you for a second, and I want to. And we're gonna get there. Um, <clears throat> what? I- so you, I've heard you mention the word therapeutic and ayahuasca is kind of known as this therapeutic tool. And I, in my opinion, all psychedelics are. I don't know, but uh, most other people think of them as that. I certainly do. What was it that kind of called to you about ayahuasca or what was it that you felt like, Um, what was the therapeutic aspect to you? Like what was your thought process in that?
1: Okay, right. Well, I knew that my... my... Sort of duty and affected me. Uh, I wouldn't say that I had PTSD. I've been able to hold down jobs. I mean, I've had the longest job I've had is, is this one. It's over seven years. I work in a special needs school with um, young children, young people within the autistic spectrum.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I work on the care side. Um, Relationships-wise, they've not been fantastic. They, they come and go. One girlfriend, when we parted company, she wrote me a letter and I laughed about it when I read it and it, it gave me food for thought and she called me emotionally unavailable. And that's really stuck, that really stuck. It didn't kind of upset me or anything. I just thought, Jesus, really am I? And I thought, oh, I always thought, but no. So I started to think about that more and what had happened in Ireland, um, and Now, I, yeah, I, I, I seem to be cut off emotionally from people, I would say, to a certain degree. It's, it's, it's difficult to explain. But what I wanted initially from the therapeutic experience was to, to re-experience or to be re- reintroduced to empathy Compassion and love, but also knowing that that stemmed from my experiences in Northern Ireland, and that if I was to do the psychedelics, that it may touch upon um, the experience. But little did I know, it just completely fucking ripped my Pandora's box of pieces. Yeah, um, <laughs> and absolutely. I'm glad I did it. But it fucking absolutely horrendous experience. Really? Oh, man, traumatic,
0: but I'm so glad I did it. So so glad. And that's quite often. So that lot... was on troubles. Yeah, yeah. And that's That was on the troubles. That's quite often the case, you know. I've been uh, I've always been able I, I, like I should knock on wood saying this, but it, for as much anxiety as I feel entering the psychedelic experience which every time I've been taking psychedelics for 13 years in various doses and various different psychedelics and for as much anxiety as I feel about actually taking it I generally have a very reasonable time even on high doses like I usually am able to come into the experience and say okay I remember this like okay this is okay I can handle it and Generally, I'll go wherever I go, but I – and I'll have I'll have moments of difficulty or, or scary moments or moments of in very high intensity. Like it's – I wouldn't call it negative, but it's like the intensity is just so overwhelming. It's like man, I just don't think I can take this level of, of intense experience. Um, yeah. But I've been in ceremony with people who've had very, very – and I've been in not only ceremony but just – I guess you could call it recreational setting for psychedelics um, where people have very, very difficult experiences. For instance, when I was in Peru and I drank ayahuasca, the guy next to me on the second night, as soon as we drank the ayahuasca, he went to like just writhing. He just – he was so anxious and uncomfortable and he called one of the the people who were there helping us over and – he was just like, please get me out of here. Like, I don't want to do this. I've made a mistake. And th- we haven't even started, we haven't even started tripping yet, you know? And yeah, yeah. so I'm like, this poor guy, like, he's just, man, he's in for a rough one. And he struggled for like two hours, you know, just once it started set in and everything starts happening, he struggled for like two hours. But then when it was over, he was just like laying there like a, like, just in bliss and we got out and we started talking about it and he was like oh my god that was the most terrible thing that's ever happened to me but it ended up being the most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me i was like damn bro i know i was like dude i felt for you like i you know but i couldn't help him you know there's nothing i could do i had to have my own experience yeah. but i say all that just to get around to the point that you're that you're uh, talking about about It being extremely difficult and horrific, terrifying at times, but generally a good experience. So, why don't we, why don't you tell me a little bit about the actual retreat, like kind of logistically how it worked out and like what it was like? And then I want to get into your actual experience.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, it was in the the original place it was going to be held, a place called Zandam which I think is about two hours or an hour and a half away from Amsterdam itself. Mm -hmm. Because of the the COVID um, crisis, they had to relocate to what would be considered to be a larger um, place. And that was in a place called Ouden, kind of way out in the sticks. So it involved two train journeys, It'd be um, a bus ride and then a taxi, which wouldn't have been too bad for me to do that, to get there, but would have been a ball ache to get back to the airport because I've always this great fear of missing my flight. So there happened to be... Now, this is the ironic part. This is it's not funny. It's kind of ironic. The guys that were going over that I met at the airport to get a taxi to the place, the three Irish guys, so they're Southern Irish. So when I met with these guys, one of the blokes, he was much older bloke, and he said, oh, he's, he's done it before. And apparently he was training to be a shaman in Ireland. And he asked me, he says, oh, what's your intention for this, this weekend, this retreat? Because we're gonna have two ceremonies. And I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm sat at a table with three Irish guys and I told them a little bit about my experience of being a young man going to Northern Ireland, two of our guys dying, um, some other stuff happened, blah blah blah, and they're like, "Oh, certainly okay, no problems." So I'm just warning you now. If, if some, it, may, it may touch upon it, it may touch upon it. I'm saying, but it was it was virtually the fucking main part, you know. Um, and during during my my experience, the guy who would ask me what my intentions were. Was next to me. You know, this big massive circle, and he was right next to me. And, and it was really good to be able to have a chat about it afterwards. You know, and I said to him, like, I'm really sorry if I killed your child, you know what I mean? He went, like, no, it's not a problem. It's totally understandable. It was amazing how understanding they were. Because two of the guys, they were of an age where they, they'd fully be able to experience, I suppose, on the news of all the, the stuff that happened in the Troubles. And then the youngest guy was 40. He probably would have been much, much younger then. He probably wouldn't make like a very young school kid that probably just couldn't give a toss as long as he got to do what he wanted as a as a small child. But uh, getting there, yeah. It was nice. Um there's about nineteen people in in the gonna participate in the group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The facilitator, Tanya. I think she would pretty be a pretty good interview if you could get in touch with the, uh, the people from sacred volume.
0: Absolutely. I'll get that information from you, uh, at some point. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to talk to them, but continue. <clears throat> um, so what yeah. I'm, I'm interested in like kind of, uh, what it was like just, uh, because I've never, I've taken psilocybin mushrooms dozens, if not over a hundred times, but, uh, I've never done it in a ceremonial setting. I've never used psilocybin in like a, uh, in a ceremonial setting like that and i'm always curious as to uh how that looks Uh, i had a i had a fella on here two or three episodes ago named chi and he was worked out of amsterdam uh facilitating psilocybin retreats as well um but what was it like kind of getting there into the space and sitting down and do they have a tea do they give you raw the raw truffle how does it how did it work
1: Okay, got it. Right. I do have a tendency to waffle on.
0: No, it's all good, man.
1: Um, there is ceremony to it. There is ceremony to it. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a full package of stuff. We do kind of uh, the, the, the before the ceremony itself. There's a thing they, they they do called heart dancing, where everyone's in in the room and you're in a circle and they just get you to dance just put some nice, beautiful music on. And I noticed all of the lyrics with the music were all to do with love, loss, acceptance, being seen, all this, this nice stuff. And you just danced around, and there's things where you interacted, is eye contact, you uh, held hands, you maintained, maintained eye contact and stuff. It was a bit uncomfortable. So I think that was designed to kind of break down barriers
2: sure. to
1: a certain extent because there were people who had done ceremonies before, there was people like myself who had not. Mm -hmm. So you basically, it's kind of showing you, you're all in the same boat, you're all together, you all have your same fears, you all have maybe same anxieties, people cried, there was hugging. Take into account this is coronavirus type thing, you know. They gave sure. us the spiel about social distancing, and then the next minute we're fucking hugging each other. Just,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, that, that, I had no anxieties concerning that. So there were some quite attractive women there, so I didn't, I didn't mind hugging them. <laughs> um, we then have about 40 minutes, an hour, just a toilet break, just sit and chill. And then you go into the ceremonial room itself, these old mattresses with um, quilts and, and the pillows. And she just talks you through what people may experience. She talks through um, if you're having any difficulties, try not to resist, accept, acceptance, give yourself over, surrender. If there's anything that comes up that's scary, then ask it, ask it what it's trying to show you. And I took that on board. I took that on board. That's a quite an interesting one because I got a bit, I feel like I got a little bit cocky with it and it just fucking took me straight to an uncomfortable place
2: yeah
1: <laughs> it'll do that um, so then they come out with the glass of the uh, the inhibitor is the uh, cappy you see A-A-T-I? oh
0: that's right you took a uh, silo so 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 that's what you took an maoi inhibitor with the psilocybin yeah oh wow yeah. that's a big i've never done that before that's that yeah. that that potentiates it vastly
1: yeah, I think the entire journey, the, the, the voyage, that they, they say, it was about 10 hours. i lost all track of time. Wow. I thought I'd gone through the... We started at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd gone all the way through the day, all the way through the night, and into the next morning, mm-hmm. whereas there was going to be another ceremony the next day. Yeah. And I said to myself, I can't fucking do this again. I cannot do this again. But But not realising it was only... Uh, no, 11 o'clock
0: at night it's still that's crazy. a long that's a long mushroom trip when when i eat mushrooms i usually only go for like may on a higher dose maybe six hours maybe seven uh-huh. usually more like three or four ish three to five but yeah yeah so they give you the they give you the harmaline, the uh maoi and
1: yeah yeah so we do that but she goes through all the chakra stuff you know, you kind of sat in a circle, and she's, she's talking. I can't remember exactly what she's saying, but it's, it's paying homage to the medicine and placing it on your chakras and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody told me that it doesn't taste very nice, but she was saying you smell it, you can sip it, you can taste it, and somebody said to me it just tastes horrible, so just neck it, just neck it straight down, and if you have some water, give your mouth a bit of a rinse, and you should be fine. Uh, so I did that. And I think they took about maybe 20 minutes before they then brought out the truffles. Uh, Funny enough, it was in two portions. Um, I don't know if she said that the complete dose is either 7 grams or 14 grams because it was in two
0: parts. Uh, Truffles would be, for a high dose, uh, probably 14 grams. So you probably had 7 and 7. I'm not positive, but that would be my assumption. Cause I know that generally, like a fifth, okay. like Cause a, when I got the I know that like a fifteen gram dose of truffles is equivalent, roughly equivalent to like a a, a three and a half to five gram mushroom trip, is what I've read.
1: Okay, so probably I'm right. next it's so fourteen. So they gave us the first half, we chewed that, and then had the uh, the face mask thing because it's during the day. Um, but I just I basically personally wanted to, to I mean everyone had the face masks. Some people started off without the face mask, but I just thought if I put it on and if I if I go into something, then I go into something, it's very introspective. I don't wanna be having this external kind of trippy experience.
0: What were you feeling at this point? Were you feeling hesitation? Were you feeling anxiety? Were you feeling pretty good about it?
1: That's that's interesting. Initially I was feeling anxious. Um And then just excitement, just excitement um, kind of got me because I I realised that I wasn't going to have any control over what happened. I like to think that I had control, that I was going to have control. And I mean, the the, the last time I was quite trippy, I don't smoke. Um, The last time, one of my Africa trips, a while back, I had some space cake when I was on the beach in Malawi. And the people I was with, they were going off somewhere. and when I said, just leave me a mouthful, just leave me a mouthful. And that just blew my mind. So I was kind of trippy on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had to, to wait that out. But that was a, a pleasant experience. But anyway, so, yeah, I was feeling excited. I was feeling excited about it. And um, At the first dose, and I think it probably waited about another 40 minutes, when it started to work to get into your system. And I was just feeling relaxed. I was feeling quite happy. And they came out and they said, "You would you like the second? So yeah, okay, no problem. I'm, I'm all in. So I had the second. <laughs> so I had the second lot, and I put the mask back on. I lay down, and it just, I, I again, yeah, I just lost all concept of time. I don't know how quickly it kicked in after that, but I did feel very happy. I felt very, very happy. I felt very relaxed. Um, and I've always thought, maybe like most people. In most people's lives, the element of control is always important. I do know as an adult, outside of psychedelics, that you don't really have control over life. Things happen. Mm -hmm. You have choices, and hopefully you make the right choices. If you make a wrong choice, hopefully that's a learning experience. So I was thinking, I'm feeling very happy. I can hear people laughing, but I'm not going to laugh. I can have a this internal dialogue. I'm not going to laugh because it's expected of me to laugh because I'm on psychedelics. But I didn't realize I was already, I was already laughing out loud. I didn't I realize the person that was laughing was me. But it was just gentle, kind of happy laughing. Um, and then I started to get the, the rush. And the only way I can describe it visually, to the very beginning part, it was like I was in this tunnel, something like the London Underground or the, 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 your, your subway.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's
1: nothing concrete, it's just kind of perspex, perspex tubes and these big bubbles of happiness were coming towards me. And then, then they would, uh, uh, like I'd feel them in my chest and I'd just have this overwhelming, just happiness, this euphoria to the point where I couldn't expand my chest anymore. And then my laughter became manic, where I couldn't laugh hard enough. I couldn't laugh loud enough. And all this joy and just, just, I have no idea how long that went on for, but I just thought that was never going to end. And if this is what I'm going to experience, then fantastic, you know. I don't know what learning experience I would have from being so happy. Um, Then to get into the the real nits, nitty gritty, Um, I had this sense of foreboding but behind it there was these grey bubbles which then led to black bubbles and the grey was full of sadness and I just started to cry and I have not cried and I think from then until the very end of the journey, the voyage, I just cried and cried and cried, absolutely just, just like a child like a child, and so much sadness. And I asked it. I asked it, why am I crying? Why am I so sad? Where's it so sad? Because the idea of, of Belfast and Ireland hadn't raised its head yet. There's so much in this When I sat down with my friends, a couple of them, and I was in the pub, and I said to him, all you need to do is sit down, be quiet, and listen. And like three hours later, I finished talking, and your podcast isn't gonna be a three hour one. You know, <laughs> but To get to some of the real of stuff, I'll kind of skip forward. So a lot of sadness, a lot of crying, and I'm asking, why am I crying? Why am I crying? And it didn't tell me anything. And then there was the euphoria came back, and then it was a sadness, then the euphoria, and then an overwhelming um, surge of grief, where I was drowning on the grief. And I physically could not breathe. It's as though I was, because I was lying down. And it's as though I was trying to straighten my body and, and let my, my neck and open my throat as much as possible. And I'm just screaming with, with overwhelming grief. And I, and now, by this time, I'm um, speaking out loud. Any internal dialogue is, is now external. Mm-hmm. I can kind of hear myself. Um, and not really wanting to external, not, 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 saying out loud, I wanted to keep it internally. I couldn't, I couldn't, I just had to say it out loud. Um, And that seemed to go on for ages. And then I think it took me to a plateau because it's not really linear. I said to my friend, it's not really linear. I can't say this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's all, it'll all be itgledy-piggledy. But then I think it took me to an even keel and I was kind of in a happy place. And I do distinctly remember something that was like an impression of a hand came over and it had something in its, in its, its hand. Are
0: you, are you still, I, have, you been remained, have you remained blindfolded this whole time or have you taken your shades yes. off?
1: Okay. No, no, I've got the blindfold on. Blindfold was on for virtually all of, of the, the journey. Okay. Uh, and this is the part where I said I felt a bit cocky because I would have the euphoria after the, 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 the sadness. But forget the sadness, thinking the euphoria was going to last. And then I would forget that I had the the euphoria because I had all this overwhelming grief and whatnot. So I was kind of felt I was in this plateau of just calmness and and just being quite comfortable. And then I had this impression that something came over and was trying to show me something. Um, And I just said to it, What are you trying to show me? And it didn't say anything, it just said this thing and no word of a lie. I just I, I in my mind's eye I just went, Well bring it on, I can take it. And it just went, Okay then. Fucking two let's have it. And then I found myself um this in this, this kind of place where there was there was light and dark um and then this grey wolf a kind of an impression, the representation of what a grey wolf would be. I wasn't afraid of the grey wolf. Um, and when I say it took me down to the dark, it didn't grab hold of me or anything. It just, it just went down and I followed. Um, and it just took me down, 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 dark, dark. And everything was pitch black. Everything was dark. The light had gone. And then the word Belfast came up. I, I assume other things had happened before this. It was like a, 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 a progression to the really bad bad part. And then the word Belfast came up. But everything is so pitch black, but the word Belfast was, was darker. And I started to rise with it. And I came into this kind of plateau of still darkness. I'd stopped rising, and then I started shouting, fuck off Belfast, fuck off Belfast, fuck off Belfast, fuck you Belfast, fuck you Belfast, and scream it. My, my voice was hoarse, after it had all finished, and I'm just screaming that, just screaming that. And then the Belfast would disappear, and I would go back down to some kind of plateau, and I was crying. All the time that these experiences, I was crying, but so much grief. Uh and I just wanted to be comforted. This is the way I can only explain it. Now, <laughs> probably you and your, the, the, the listeners will accept this, anybody else. So that's the one I said to my friends, right, this is my experience, so you can go poo and crisp. But Mother Gaia came down, and she held me in her arms, and she comforted me like a child, and she held me close. And I felt safe. I felt comforted, I felt loved, and then she started to rise up and take me to, I'm not saying this is a a religious experience, but she started to take me up further to the light. But she let go of me, and I kind of went back down to the plateau, and the clear distinction between the light and the dark, and I was asking her, Please take me. Why are you leaving me? Why are you leaving me? Why are you leaving me? And I was pleading then. I'm crying and I'm pleading almost pitifully.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And then the wolf came up, got me, and then just dragged me down. And this happened numerous times, just going down and going up and going down and going up. And the darkness was all to do with Belfast and my friend Joe dying and then... I uh, was screaming, uh, fucking murdering IRA cunts, fucking murdering IRA cunts, blah, 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 and screaming this. But before the ceremony began, I forgot to mention, the, the, the staff, the people there to, to support us did say, anybody who is uh, in an uncomfortable or emotional state, we will not immediately dive in to uh, ground you, to bring you back down, mm-hmm. not to pull you out of it. We will not give you support straight away. We believe there's going to be a process. If we consider you're then going too far gone, we would come in. And it's then that the staff start to support me. And it would just be a simple touch on the shoulder. And that was amazing how just that would ground me, bring me back down, still very much in in the journey, still very much in the state, but but not as heightened, um, not as upset. Sure, So they brought me down a couple of times. Um, yeah, so that was a large part, and then it took me back to the streets of Belfast, for three separate occasions, um, which was not pleasant whatsoever. Um, the day Joe died, it was as though, it was as though I was physically there. Physically there, I can still see you now in my mind's eye that I'm around the corner from where Joe was shot where he died on the floor he was on he was on top cover on the vehicles the sniper's got in the neck apparently the bullet went uh, ricocheted kind of down into his lungs he, he, he was gone before he could get to an ambulance um, and yeah, it took me back to that, that, point where I just had a sense of confusion. Cause one of the other lads who was in his platoon, who was, who was on top cover, they was doing a circuit. They were riding around. Cause we'd been on foot patrols. we would not long since back into camp. We found that one of our guys had been, was down. We'd gone out. And then the lad started saying to me, Chris, it's Joe. It's Joe. And I was thinking, I hope he's okay i hope he's okay i wonder where he's been shot i didn't think he's going to be dead you don't think that you know you're mm-hmm. your soldier you don't think the bullets got your name on it somebody else so i had this really strong sense of confusion in this moment um and then realizing that he was dead and i was again i was speaking out loud so i'm almost narrating this experience and I was narrating and I was upset the fact that he died in the arms of his corporal and not in the arms of his mother. That was really one strong, really strong um, feeling I had that he didn't die with his mother. And then it took me to a time which may have been a couple of weeks after his death, when everything had just been damped down, but the box had been locked, no one talked about it. Um, and we was on a, another patrol. We were supporting the IUC, and we was on the ground. We was waiting for the uh, the police officer to finish his his thing that he did. So we would then be able to get back into the vehicles and drive off. And there was two young boys of about twelve, maybe fourteen years old. Who hadn't said anything whilst we was out on the ground. As soon as we ran back to the vehicle, got into the vehicle, we generally just straight. You know, off straight away. For whatever reason, we was there for a couple of minutes. These two young boys stood up and they started to taunt taunt us. They were taunting me because my my partner was doing top cover. He was his his um, view was, was different to mine. So they started to point to their neck and one nil, one nil. And the amount of rage at that particular time was actually when I was what was there was. I re-experienced that in, in the journey. Um, I took the safety catch off my, my weapon. I went to cock the weapon, and I realized what I was doing, and I lost all strength in my legs, and I just fell into the vehicle. We sat into the vehicle, and the vehicle drove off. I truly believe that if I would have cocked the weapon, the next thing would have been the trigger. Wow. And I would have shot the I would have shot these two young boys. Um, and I never really told anyone about that. That particular part of my tour of duty.
2: Uh-huh.
1: People knew that my friend had died and whatnot. And, and on this certain level, I, I could talk about it, but not really engaging the emotions. But I'd never told anyone that particular story about those two boys that I came very close to killing. Uh-huh. I don't want to exaggerate it. I mean, it's... It was really scary, but the amount of rage. So as we're driving off, and again, I'm reliving this in this, this journey. Uh, but when it happened, um, Bob, my, my um, teammate, came down. And he sat down in a vehicle, and he basically was saying, what the fuck are you doing sat down? You should be on top cover. But as he looked at me, and he just said, Jesus, you look as though you've seen a ghost. And I, I couldn't speak at the time because of the, the the high intensity of rage I felt and then the shock of what I'd almost done. It then took me to the very first foot patrol and then I re-experienced the intense fear that I felt driving out to the very first foot patrol. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm narrating that and I'm narrating how fucking scared I was. Cause even though we'd had four and a half months worth of intensive intensive training for any scenario that may happen that we would react as a team mm-hmm. i still didn't know what was going to happen when, I, when we, were, we were boots on the ground you know luckily enough the patrol went went well it was just afterwards that other things happened that weren't um weren't pleasant but again i'm lucky enough i didn't have to discharge my weapon in, in anger or discharge it at all, but yeah, it, it's those three experiences that it took me. I was I was there and I'm crying and I'm wailing and I just kept on saying I was 19. What the fuck did I know? I was 19. What did I know? You know were, they,
0: did, were the staff uh, still kind of, were they comforting you and, and uh, supporting you at this point still?
1: Yeah. They did, yeah, they they came over and it's just, uh, I think it got to the point where it, it moved from a, sh- a hand on the shoulder to the full palm on the top of my chest and it would just bring me down. Um, but that, that seemed to go on for ages. And then the, the grey wolf was, was still there for a little while, but the, the most...
0: Oh yeah, that was right. Yeah, it's so much it's involved. It's a lot. It's a lot in there to unpack. I know. It's it's like uh, it the more you think about it. I mean, I, I I I'm not kidding you. From my ayahuasca experience, when I drank ayahuasca in October, I still think about it every day, and like things come up, and that I'm just like, holy shit! Like, it's just mind-boggling, and yeah. I had no, I I. Had t- before I drank ayahuasca, I'd taken psychedelics for years, like I was explaining earlier, and I had never seen the. But I had never seen this amount of power. Like I had never had an experience this massive. You know, it was just like it dwarfed all other psychedelic experiences. It was like they were hilarious by comparison, and mm-hmm. it was just so unbelievably intense. I I just couldn't believe that it was happening and damn it my mom keeps texting me sorry for the listeners that audio comes up in the uh so my mom's text messaging me text messaging me but uh yeah man it's a lot it's so much and it's like you're saying if you were to explain this to someone the thing that you're saying about the wolf and then mother gaia you can kind of like visually represent that in your mind right but what you can't, yeah. what you can't relate to people is what it means to you and the the feeling that it gives you and um the these really ancient feelings of like nostalgia and deep despair and like unbel like soul crushing sadness that you're like releasing and purging out and uh, it's just like you it, there's no way to describe that to somebody you know it's like no no <laughs>
1: So when I was screaming and shouting, when I was screaming and shouting Belfast, that was pure unadulterated rage. So maybe these issues. I might have had therapy in the past. I'd I'd had therapy for two and a half years, uh, about 10 years ago. And it touched upon Belfast. It touched upon the relationship with my mother. I thought that I dealt with the stuff in Belfast and Joe. Uh, Obviously not. But what I'd done was very cathartic. But there was one thing. So I was at his funeral, because I had extra R&R around about where his funeral was happening. So I was a part of the, the, the lining up where the coffin is and whatnot. And I do remember at that time, telling myself I couldn't cry, because nobody else is crying. And we were close friends. But I couldn't cry. I couldn't break the uniformity of, of non-criers. It just wouldn't be the thing. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't be masculine. It wouldn't be masculine to, to, to cry. Um, so you have time to reflect and integrate, and come up with your own ideas of what it possibly means. And I think maybe I got the chance to say goodbye to Joe. Because there was a point where there was something that kind of raised from from the dark side upwards and kind of disappeared. And it was like a representation of, of what Joe was. And I remember shouting out, screaming out, um, I miss you, Joe. I miss you, Joe.
0: I love you, Joe. Um, wow. That is, that's why And he disappeared. That's heavy, man. Yeah.
1: But he's also, sorry, I just want to say but there's also this strong feeling of, of masculine and feminine.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. his this other stuff. I was still in this, this area of, of um, the light and the dark. But the dark kind of turned to grey. Um, and it was one point where I was, was rising up on the grey side. Um, I'm not a religious person Never have been don't think I ever will be um, I've read that people When they have psychedelic experiences Maybe it's an affirmation of their, their faith mm-hmm. Makes it stronger They have these religious experiences Maybe it helps people To question their faith they, they may need to go through a personal journey Of, of, of self-discovery with, with regards to their, their religion or whatever um, I used to be so anti religion when I left because of sectarian violence and Catholics and Protestants and religious aspects and whatnot. But I do have this distinct memory of rising up to the right. Now, again, this people might go, well, what of bollocks, Chris, you're talking shit. Is this concept of God was this little bit of light and it disappeared to my right hand side. And I remember having this dismissive attitude and I was saying, God is dead, Deus es mortus." The Latin God is dead, which I have tattooed on my uh, my arm. Mm -hmm. Can you see me? Yeah, I can see you. Okay. Oh, not right. Yes, sorry. I thought it disappeared. (laughs) So I have (laughs) there. No,
0: your tattoos are your tattoos are fucking sick, by the way, man. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) This is the one thing. See,
1: it's the bad arm and the good arm, because I have "Sunny in Latin on one, which means healing mental health, Uh and then "Deus Mortus." on the other so I don't know on a subconscious level if the tattoos would have been separate would it have been darkness and light you know but as I'm rising up this the concept of this judo-christian concept of a god was disappearing and I was very dismissive of it as I was rising up Odin was was up there the the, the viking god. yeah you know yeah I um, mean but I kind of translate that very much as the masculine and the feminine. So we had Brother Gaia and then his body in holding this kind of the warrior god type stuff very much his masculine. So there was a period where I was being held by both and I was being lifted up and then, excuse me, let go. But don't forget, through for most, if not all, of the experience I was crying and crying and crying. Sure. And every time one of them Any time one of them would lift me up and then let me go, I'd be begging them to take me. And I asked, is this dying? Am I dying? Am I dying? And in that time, in that that particular period, if I would have died, I would have been happy. I don't want to die. I don't have suicidal ideation or stuff like that, you know. But in that moment, I distinctly remember wanting to be taken by either side. And to die, and then I was shouting out, "I want to die! I want to die! <laughs> I want to die!" And I'm crying, and then there's the staff I to come over, and again, support me. I, they must have thought I was, I, I mean, they've obviously over the 15 years they've been doing. Oh,
0: they've it. seen people do all kind of shit
1: like that. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of stuff. But afterwards, I was thinking, God, you know. But yeah, this this wanting to die is. Bizarre. I've really not really kind of integrated that yet. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, do I want my ego to die? You
0: well, know? It's probably a, it's prob. well, I don't know, but I can, I've had similar experiences and I've, I've felt similar sensations. And I think it's for me, I can't speak for you or for anybody else, but generally for me, it's this sense of wanting to change or transform or become better. Or there's a part of me that I dislike that I'd like to purge, that I'd like to be free from and i've definitely felt that experience of having the ego death and then having just feeling when your ego is completely erased and it's like all your identity attachments to the world are gone it's such a beautiful calm pristine place to be because it's like everything that I think that creates myself has been cut away for this one moment. And now I'm like ultimately and finally free. And that's like a beautiful, that's like the most beautiful sensation because nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing that holds you back or nothing, nothing is tying you to your idea of yourself anymore. Um, So I I understand that sentiment and I felt that before. And usually those for me during the psychedelic experience are those moments of like, unimaginable, unexplainable peace. Like I remember on ayahuasca thinking, this is the most peace I've ever felt in my life because everything is gone. Like there's no, yeah. there's no, I don't even have an idea of myself. I don't know where my body is. I don't know if I'm, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm breathing, you know, all these things. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful feeling to be just completely Ex- like awareness, existence, with no uh strings attached. Yeah,
1: that's what I tried to explain to my friends as well. This is when I was fully in it. There was no, there was no physical sensation of being on a mattress or there was a quilt and stuff. And then my body temperature fluctuated. It was quite, quite high. I was sweating, and I did actually have an headache. I don't know what else I would need it because I was. Crying so much, I can't emphasize how much I cried. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. And then there's these other the other stuff. I did think I had one moment of of um, I think maybe I, I nudged the 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 mask from my eyes, and maybe I had a little bit of a trippy moment because I do remember saying, "I'm tripping my fucking tits off." I'm tripping my fucking tits off. <laughs> and having a little bit of i wouldn't say kaleidoscope of, of colors and stuff but just this lovely bright kind of colors and i, I must have put it back over again but mm-hmm. this other stuff happened there's, there's one thing where i remember there was a voice i was taken to somewhere where it was greenery it was like um you know the vines that grow up the side of buildings and stuff. It was something like I was totally surrounded and then there was a voice that was speaking to me. But it wasn't English. It was indistinctive. It wasn't English. It was somebody was speaking, somebody was speaking and they're trying to tell me something. And I'm leaning forward and I'm leaning forward and I'm trying to just, just trying to get And they're just about to give me an understanding of what they're trying to tell me. And I drift off. And then I would go into to crying mode and begging and saying, "I I can understand. Please tell me, I can understand. I can understand. I can understand. Yeah, just tell me, I understand." And it disappeared. And then I would go to somewhere else.
0: You know. Um, so yeah. what? Be, what do you? So okay, let me. I've been dying to know this. Did you eat? Did you go the second time?
1: Um. What well, the second ceremony? All the, the,
0: yeah. Did you yeah eat? the second ceremony? Yeah. So you so you you went, at, Obviously, okay. So in the beginning, you you classified this as a as a terrifying or or a, a scary experience. Do you feel that it's a negative experience?
1: No, no, it's totally positive.
0: Okay, great. Totally positive. So you did. Yeah, no. So you did go ahead and t- and take the truffles again in the second ceremony. I did,
1: but funny enough, I was... Reflect back on it now, I do believe it was a positive experience. It was scary, and it was horrendous and whatnot. Um, the second ceremony, I chose just to take the one lot of truffles because I didn't want to go back into such an intense experience again. Mm-hmm. Now, before... We, we um, drank the stuff and then had the truffles. She did ask us to have a moment of affirmation of what we wanted from the experience. So I asked it again before taking it, I asked it again. I'd like to experience, I'd like you to show me what it's like to be compassionate and loving and caring, empathy, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I had the first lot. Well, we drank we drank the, the, the juice then we had the truffles and she came around as I'm starting to feel relaxed and happy she came around and said do you all want the second dose I don't know if anybody else chose not to say take the second dose but I didn't take the second dose um, whether it would have taken me back to the kind of experience I had I can't say but I do believe I had enough for it to do what it wanted to do for me. And I felt that I was held as witness to everybody else's grief, anger, pain, whatever, joy, ecstasy, and I was kind of held just below the surface. So I I wasn't trippy. I wasn't having visions. I wasn't transported back to anywhere else, whatnot. The the hugging my mother and giving her a kiss on the cheek was the second ceremony, not the first.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So the second ceremony, I think, was about nine hours because we started a little bit earlier, and I know what we finished. We finished a bit earlier than the the previous one. that was amazing because i was just filled with just overwhelming love and and empathy for the people who were having uncomfortable moments people crying you know um i was lucky that i didn't purge as in vomit Mm -hmm. that's one thing i was concerned about i don't like being sick and tanya the woman said if you're going to be sick you will be sick it's there for a purpose just give yourself over to it and uh i was like okay but luckily enough i I didn't purge Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but the second ceremony it couldn't have been any different
2: yeah
1: it was just this constant overwhelming love and compassion and again i cried but i cried for people i cried for the people who were were upset and there was one particular lady who had done a few ceremonies over the years and she said that she always purged, and it was always um, bad for her. And I was very aware of her throwing up and throwing up and throwing up. And if ever you've had the experience, I've not been sick for such a long time, but I do remember the the, 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 the time where if you're, you're throwing up and you're spasming and you go, and you manage to catch your breath, and then yeah. you can catch your breath have you ever experienced it where you're just going bruh, 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 and you've no oxygen inside you you think you're gonna that's what i was like when i was a child i was always scared that I was gonna suffer. okay yeah i've definitely and i remember uh, managing to catch a breath and say i can't breathe i need help someone help me please with such panic in her voice and i was crying for her and i was trying to push out love and to help her. But obviously the memory staff was with her and managed her to get calmer. Sorry, Clinton,
0: sir. Yeah, uh I've I've had that exact same experience. I, I saw and I was privy to that during ayahuasca. There was this girl who was just I mean, I was I thought the same thing. I thought, how can she breathe? Like she is just constant flow and then there's nothing left in her stomach now she's just like Mm. now she's just like dry heaving dry heaving and oh man yeah and I remember thinking that exact same thing like there was a part of me that was thinking I should get up and go comfort her and then there's another part of me that's thinking you're not capable of walking right now (laughs) and then there's another part of then there's another part of me that's thinking no she needs to go through this like she needs to have this experience and then finally what i decided on was like this intelligence that's i'm having this conversation with myself or this entity or whatever it is i don't know i mean you, the voice that is communicating maybe it's you talking to yourself maybe it's you speaking uh-huh. to who knows i guess it really doesn't matter um Finally, what I decided was like just send your love, like just push your love out, like a like just send her compassion and love and caring and yeah. and, and and that's exactly I was like okay I'll do it like that's all I can do right now and it was like, I was like I'm pushing that out to her and everybody else in the room and that was on it. My experience with ayahuasca is very similar to the experience you're describing, even in a like chronological order. My first experience was extremely intense, the most intense experience of my life, like. Oh my God, to think about doing that again is just terrifying. And then my second night was like yours, full of compassion, full of gentleness, full of caring for other people. And, uh, yeah, it was a night, it was a night and day difference. Um, and it's odd, it's odd how that kind of mirrors each other. That's, that's strange. We, are you going to do it? Are you think you're going to do it again or you've had your fill?
1: no no I discovered because in holland they were doing ayahuasca in in the netherlands uh and i believe the dutch government banned it um october so october time um, they uh, put the kibosh on that
0: i'll I'll, I'll, so, I'll there's some places where you can find it out there for sure i'll help put you in oh, no.
1: There is a place, because uh, <laughs> Sacred Voyage, they do retreats in Portugal. Okay. So, yeah, I'll be investigating their, their calendar for, for next year. I'm going to give it a full 12 months, because um, in regards to me working in the school and having the entire summer off, mm-hmm. I'll be able to comfortably book book something where I can do the the weekend and then have time to just relax and reintegrate afterwards there was people on on the retreat that the friday that it had finished that they were going home on the monday they were going straight back to work
2: yeah
1: and i was like whoa i, I couldn't do that because you know? yeah. i was emotionally so raw mm-hmm. so raw because i text? As soon as I, and it finished, I text and I WhatsApp the, the group of friends that I've got who work within the place. And one of them says, oh, and she texts back, she says, uh, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. And I text back to her saying, did I say I enjoyed myself? Yeah. And another one says, oh, I'm glad you had fun. Did I use the word fun? You know? <laughs> yeah. And try not to too, too cryptic or whatever, or, or uh, there's no way to describe it. So I had a week. just get on an even keel and i sat down in a pub and i said to my friends just be quiet and just listen yeah and there's one of the one of the guys wants to do it next year but he's very very analytical he's he's doing gestalt therapy at the moment he's actually taking himself back into into therapy and wants to discover himself so i'm saying well if you're still doing your gestalt therapy next summer if you come along and do the ayahuasca then that's something that you can do some talking about it and so really
0: get what do you think now having had the experience as to what you what you thought was going to happen what you thought what, what do you think about it now compared to what you previously thought before like do you what I'm trying to get at is, um, isn't it funny how you had this idea of what it was going to be like, and it was just like, it completely destroyed that concept of what you thought it might be like? Like, it's just mind Oh, yeah,
1: totally. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. I was expecting, if it was have been the the, the uh, ayahuasca, all the stuff that I've seen on YouTube of people vomiting and screaming and showing, so I'm going to die, I'm dying and it seemed to be having a horrendous time. I was thinking, okay, maybe I'm, I'll be doing that on ayahuasca, but the truffles, in regards with the inhibitor, which enables the DMT within the, um, the truffles for you to be able to absorb that, um, I didn't think that I was going to go through such an extreme as what I did. Because mm-hmm. they, they, they say this what you're going to do is much more gentler than ayahuasca so in my mind I'm like okay I didn't expect to be going all hippy trippy and you know get accepted into the universe and add the questions to all answers and stuff like that but yeah I did not expect it to be so powerful and so so horrendously traumatic as it was and I say that not meaning that I walked away thinking everything was traumatic and horrendous. It's the only way I can explain it. I, I'm glad that I did. I'm so glad that I did it. Um, and I want to do ayahuasca next next year.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, if you've got, if you feel the call, you should definitely do it. Ayahuasca is powerful, uh, but psilocybin is extraordinarily powerful too. These medicines are, yeah they're the most powerful substances on the planet earth. Nothing else can take you to that place, you know. Like nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I have an upcoming appointment here in a few minutes and I'm going to have to let you go shortly. But uh man, that's one hell of an experience and you've lived one hell of a one hell of a life and uh you know, I'm glad that you decided to 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 do that and to you know it's just it's a big experience it's a lot for anyone to undergo and it it shows you that things were more traumatic maybe than you than you thought you know it come kind of full circle back to what we were talking in the beginning about the compartmentalizing of things yeah these these experiences have the tendency to just pull out that old dusty box and say here we go we got to go into this one and you'll be like, no, no, please, not that one. And they're like, no, you gotta we gotta go through this one and get some of this stuff out of here. And
1: uh, Yeah. I'm interested to to, to to see if if people who know me do see not an extreme change, but something in me. Because there's always been an ongoing joke. Before when I arrived at the, the retreat, when I did this for the retreat one of the guys I used to work with who now works within the school, within the teaching side, uh, attached a photograph to our little WhatsApp group. And the photograph was this angry-looking gorilla with a coffee cup, and at the top it says, I drink lots of coffee, I hate people, and I know things. (laughs) And he said, this is Chris. This is before I'm going to go into the retreat. And, And I laughed, and I just thought... Jesus, it's 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 a joke. But there's an element of of do people really see me like that? You know, I don't consider myself an angry person. Um uh times I can be quite stern and, and forthright and whatnot. And I work with vulnerable young people, so I do have a certain amount of, of professionalism and, and, and empathy and, and caring and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I've always wanted to expand that further in regards to relationships. Sorry, Clint, I forgot to mention that. Um, the initial idea is, is to become more emotionally a- uh, available in my relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm single. Um, so that, that was one of the main ideas. So when I was talking to a couple of the, the female friends, I, I did notice they were looking at me in a slightly different way, that I was being more open and sharing stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It does, so. uh, these these medicines have a tendency to do that, and, you know, uh, this was, how long ago did, did you do this? Not very long ago. That was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Oh, yeah. So, you you're gonna be unpacking that for a while man and different things are gonna come out and and you know some of it's so dreamlike and so half forgotten and something'll you'll, you'll you'll come across something else and it'll trigger a memory of it and it'll a new door will unlock and that's you know that that literally happens to me on a daily basis and I think wow like I get something that I experienced on that night now all of a sudden it makes sense like I get it now that's weird. Um but it's been great talking to you man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing of yourself. That was a very uh vulnerable uh discussion and and I appreciate you doing that on the show. Um Do you well, want- I'm glad that we
1: actually I'm glad that we actually got to talk because as I said, me and computers and stuff. I'm glad it was on your side. You got in touch with me cuz I was just doing my not trying to connect with you but yeah thank you for your thanking
0: a- absolutely absolutely yeah you know it's technology man this happens like i said this kind of shit happens all the time um do you want to give out any of your social do you want to promote anything or what
1: uh both not really um my stupid instagram name is is kill and cry
0: k-i-k-i-l-l-n-k-r-y
2: so
0: yep. cry is with okay so um, at, at Kill and Cry on Instagram, follow him for all the books. I saw that you're reading. What are you reading right now? Uh, When When Plants Dream.
1: Oh yeah, When Plants Dream. Yeah. That's about. I, I just w- thought that would maybe gear me up for next year. Give me a better understanding that he's got into the history of. of, of yeah.
0: um, Study up, but uh, it, it's going to be hilarious when you get there. It was for me because I did. I studied for months maybe over a year about ayahuasca and as the as the experience begins and the massive intensity of it i'm laughing at myself saying holy shit why did i waste my time reading books about this or watching videos about this because Yeah, yeah it's hilarious to think that i could have somehow been prepared for this experience um anyways man thanks again uh we'll uh we'll see you around on the flip side man maybe we'll do this again someday but uh, thanks for supporting the show and following and and thanks for coming and doing this man well maybe after i've done my ayahuasca absolutely absolutely that would be fantastic let's uh let's hope that we can work that out thank we should you. be able to okay right. all right thank you clinton thank you chris take care brother have a nice life right. bye-bye Ladies and gentlemen, Chris O'Connor. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I think you did a great job. I think we did a great job. I think it was a good episode. I think people are going to like it. And if they've gotten to this point, they must have thought at least something good about it, right? So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Fascinating chat with a fascinating man, Chris O'Connor. Um, looking forward to possibly discussing his future ayahuasca experiences. That should be a big podcast. We'll look forward to uh, look forward to it and hope that the universe will see it through. And uh, just from my initial chat with Chris, I can tell he's the kind of guy who doesn't take no for an answer and and gets it gets the job done. So I'm sure we'll be hearing from Chris again at a future date, and we'll be discussing his mind-boggling ayahuasca experiences until then let's leave you with a quote and we'll be back next week with a no trip sitter baby and we'll leave you today with a staple of anti-war sloganry uh commonly associated with the americans 1960s counterculture movement Uh, it seemed to me to be somewhat fitting for today's episode short and sweet and the quote goes like this make love not war Thank you, Psychedelicast. We appreciate you for joining us in the attempt to pry open the third eye until we meet again. We love you. Take good care of yourselves.